Well, hey, we are continuing our series called I Believe in Miracles. We've been going through a whole bunch of biblical examples of miracles that have happened. And uh, we've been talking through 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. I'll just uh, recap that. You know, there are some people that look for miracles. There are some people that look for theology and understanding. We need to stand on Christ crucified. Christ crucified is the central message that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him, that they would have eternal life and not perish. It is a huge message, the heart of God for a broken world, Christ crucified, that God would sacrifice for sinners, that while we were still sinners, Christ would die for us. It's an amazing truth. If we ground ourselves in that, then scripturally we can approach the power of God and the wisdom of God without going off the rails. And that's what we want. We want to approach the power of God without going off the rails. Last time we talked about Pentecost and uh, the baptism in the Holy Spirit changed my life. And I don't even want to think about who I would be, where my life would be, uh, without that heart transplant from God that happened to me the better part of 30 years ago. So ask and receive of the spirit. Today, we're going to talk about hearing the still small voice of God. We're going to look at Elijah and the gentle whisper of God when he was seeking the Lord. And this is kind of that next phase of being led by the spirit and hearing the voice of God throughout our lives. So the still small voice of God, the gentle whisper that was spoken to Elijah. So we're going back into the Old Testament. We're going to be in first Kings in week two of our series. When we talked about Saul being among the prophets and the significance of the spiritual climate, but there was so much death and destruction and it was just chaos, basically anarchy with all these different people where just might made right. And that was it. It was just anarchy and death and hurt. And we talked about Titus chapter three. And I just want to reference that again, because we're going to be talking about some things in Elijah's life and just the way that God was dealing with this broken world. It seems like crazy harsh to us, but we live in a world that is orderly and safe and really, really nice compared to how it was then. And so I just want us to make sure that we understand the context. But they're living in this Titus 3-3 world. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. This was a world of war and skirmishes and injustice and killing. It was just a disaster of a time. But let's compare verse three to verses one and two here in Titus. It says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle toward everyone. So we are called by God to live in that way, obedient, subject to rulers and authorities, ready to do whatever is good, no slandering, to be peaceable and considerate and gentle towards everyone. What a world it would be if everyone just followed those two verses. Well, we end up, especially, you know, kind of passive aggressively in verse three. So how do we grab hold of one and two? How do we grab hold of that good life? 
verses four through seven really give the process. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. So washing and renewal, rebirth by the Holy Spirit, heirs of eternal life, and then living in the ways of God in this life. That's how we grab hold of the good things of God. But we're going back Old Testament, a time of people being hated and hating one another, malice and envy, a lot of death and destruction, but there is a better way. But let's go back there. Let's set the stage here. So Ahab is king of Israel. Jezebel is his wife. You may have heard of them. They were not good people. They worshiped Baal. It was really, really bad. Let me just show a scripture that tells about that from 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29 through 33. It says this, describing Ahab. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ephbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. So Ahab was bad. <laughs> he was worshiping other gods. He was doing terrible things. It was just a big mess. So God is dealing with Israel because of their wandering away from God and the bad leadership of Ahab. And there is a drought and a great famine in the land. And uh, Elijah is trying to bring the nation to God and deal with this evil ruler. And Jezebel is doing a lot of harm. Let's just read 1 Kings 18, verse 4. And it just is said so plainly. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. So while Jezebel was killing off all of the prophets, <laughs> like they systematically were destroying all of the spiritual leaders in the nation of Israel. This is how bad they were, killing off all of the Lord's prophets. This was bad. This is basically a war, you know, like an actual physical war where you're trying to kill your opponents. And it was a war between the followers of God and the followers of Ahab, Jezebel, and their god, Baal. So it was just a mess. Then there got to be a big showdown at Mount Carmel. You may have heard about this. 
Elijah rebuilds the altar and puts a sacrifice on it. He calls on the 450 prophets of Baal to come and try to put their offering out and have fire come down from God. So they're there all day beating themselves and cutting themselves and calling on their God, but nothing happens. Then they pour a whole bunch of water on the offering and Elijah prays to God to bring fire down from heaven. And this is what happens there. Elijah gets a great victory. It says this, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Okay, so a great victory for Elijah. They poured water on the sacrifice, but God sent fire down and all the people of Israel were there. In this moment, they turned back to God because they see the incredible miracle of the fire coming down from heaven and they kill all of the 450 prophets of Baal. That's crazy stuff, but this was a crazy time. So that's why I'm talking about that. Elijah had a great victory. He was so excited. He took off running. He outran chariots. I mean, he was very excited about the victory. He thought, we have won. What are Ahab and Jezebel going to do now? Fire from heaven came down. The prophets of Baal are destroyed. God has shown himself to be true to the nation of Israel. And so Elijah thinks, we win. Wait till Jezebel hears about this. Well, what's Jezebel's reaction? Chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. So Jezebel doesn't say, wow, yeah, you really have God on your side. There's nothing we can do. Instead, Jezebel says, oh, you're going to kill all of my prophets. I'm going to kill you. And this shakes Elijah because he thought the victory was already won. And yet Jezebel is still defying him and she is threatening to kill him and she is very much meaning it. Remember, she's the one having all of the prophets killed and it's okay. We're sending all our forces after you now, Elijah. You got 24 hours and we're getting you is what she's saying to him. And I don't know if you've ever gone from a a time where you thought you were in a great victory to where you realized the battle had just begun and, and you very well could lose. And if you We're going to win. It was going to be a long slog. If you've had that happen, it can be defeating and debilitating. And this is what Elijah is experiencing. A great apparent victory, but the victory was elusive and Jezebel was not backing down. So Elijah is deeply depressed. We see in verse 
3 and 4. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. So this is a harsh situation for Elijah. He goes from this apparent great victory And now he's praying that he would die. He thinks that Jezebel's going to have him killed and that there's no escape for him. He is distraught and he's praying to die. Like this is really, really bad. His emotional state is wrecked and he's just in a rough, rough spot. So he needs to hear from God. He needs to meet with the Lord and get some direction and get some help. An angel shows up, gives him some food, and sends him on a 40-day journey to go meet with God. So that's where we pick it up. 1 Kings 19, verse 9. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Meloah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah says the same thing to God twice. He says, I've served you, I've been very zealous for you, But the people have rejected your covenants. They torn down the altars. They killed the prophets. Now they're trying to kill me. He is distraught over the situation. This is what he says to the Lord. And then later when the gentle whisper comes, this is what he says to the Lord again. And then God gives him this direction. Who to anoint king over Aram, over Israel, and who to bring in as his successor. So God basically says to Elijah, all right, it's time for you to go. We're going to need to get somebody else 
to do your job. Now, this wasn't it for Elijah. There was more for him to do, but Elisha is now called. The successor comes in, uh, in the very next part of this same chapter, Elisha comes in and he is to become the new prophet. So what an amazing section of scripture, these incredible things that happen. So many amazing things to focus on, but I want to look at the gentle whisper. This gentle whisper from God. It was the presence of God. It was the indication that God was going to give direction to Elijah. A gentle whisper. Not the wind that tore the rocks, not the earthquake, not the fire. The gentle whisper. One of the keys to living the Christian life is being able to hear from God. It's really, really important. It can be a vision. It can be a dream, a prophetic word. But usually, it's the gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Just a prompting, just a a little leading. Uh, In the old days, they used to say, you just know when you're knower. It's the prompting, the leading of the Spirit, the gentle whisper in your heart. What a beautiful thing it is to be able to be led by the Spirit of God. Right now, I've got all kinds of leadership decisions to make. Of course, we're dealing with, you know, trying to finish off the pandemic and get ministries going again, uh, looking for direction with that. We've got campuses. We've got situation in ball club that I'm believing God to do mighty things. We've got West Duluth. We're looking to get things going there. We need to re-engage our volunteers, as I mentioned earlier, because without the people doing the work of the ministry, the work of the ministry doesn't get done. You know, I'm here to encourage and strengthen and help you get to the place where God is using you to the fullest capacity of his plan. It's not for me to do your work for you or anything like that. We want everybody doing their part so that the work gets done. So we've got to re-engage volunteers. Uh, Do we need to do a building program before all this stuff changed? Two years ago, we were thinking about building expansion. I talked to the city, got uh, preliminary permission to do that. What do we do with that? We got to develop a leadership pipeline because we got more ministries ready to happen than we have leaders to be able to do them. All these things I'm seeking the Lord on. Besides that, I've got Personal things, of course. We all seek the Lord for personal things. There's some housing things going on. I've got one of my sons is having a difficult time uh, with his health. You know, just seeking the Lord on all these different things. And when we're trying to get direction in all these different areas, when the Lord leads us, things work out much better. We want to be led by the Spirit of God. We want to be led by the Lord. We want to get direction from God. Hear the still small voice. How do we hear the still small voice of God? How does that work? Some people seem to naturally be able to walk into that. Other people have no idea. You know, what is that preacher talking about? Hear the voice of God, the still small voice of God, the gentle whisper of God. How do you hear from God? That's what I want to talk about because you can hear from God. That can happen for you. That's an important part of being a believer in Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to ask for forgiveness. Jesus has paid the price on the cross. You ask for forgiveness. You pledge your life to follow him. And then now you're in the family of God. You're a co-heir with Christ and you can receive the Holy Spirit and be led by the Spirit. So how do we hear this still small voice of God? How do we do that? Well, the first thing 
is believe that you can and ask God. <laughs> I tell you what, that's probably, I don't know, it's more than half of it. I don't know what percentage of it it is, but it's an important part is believing you can hear from God and ask him. Romans 8, 13 and 14 says this, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The children of God, every child of God, every believer in Jesus Christ, everyone who's crucified with Christ and stepped into new life, every child of God is led by the Spirit of God. So we can have that as a promise to be Spirit-led, to hear the still small voice, get direction from God. So believe that. Spend time in prayer seeking direction from God. Now, you might be able to to uh, text somebody and, and interact with them. But if you never send the text, you're never going to hear from them. So you got to send the text. You got to connect with God. You got to pray. You got to ask for direction. You got to spend time with God seeking direction from God. Ask questions to God and then listen. What should I do in this situation? My heart is racing. How can I calm my heart, Lord? Ask questions and then be still and listen. What do you hear? This was a huge part of my life as an early Christian. As an early believer, I spent a lot of my time just asking God questions and trying to hear an answer from God. Uh, it's still an important part, but now it's more like a lot of obedience. I kind of know the basics. Back then, I didn't have a clue. Uh, so I needed a lot of information from God. Now I kind of know the basics. And so it's mostly about obedience. It's mostly about walking out the things that I know rather than trying to gain more information. But again, like I mentioned earlier, there's all the different specific things that I'm seeking the Lord for and trying to get direction for, because I know if I do it God's way, it's going to work out. If I do it my way, it's not. I've been doing this long enough to know that my plans are not as good as God's plans. And so I need to seek him and get direction from the Lord. I used to spend a lot of time doing that, just asking God questions. And one of the examples that I like to use is one time years ago, I've only been a Christian, you know, just a few years. And uh, I've noticed there's all these hundreds of different Christian groups. And like, well, who do you hook up with? You know, I, I didn't know what in the world was going on with all these people. I didn't even know the Bible. How am I supposed to know which group is right? And so I'm praying and I'm asking God, you know, hey, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to hook up with the wrong group. Tell me which group is right so I can hook up with them. Which group is right? Who's right? I asked God. And then just, bink. I just knew, you know, it wasn't something where I heard a voice or anything like that, but I just knew, you know, none of them are right. God is good. God is right. But the people that follow him all have their different things wrong with them. And it was like, oh, of course, you know, it just seemed obvious then churches, denominations, there isn't a right one. Some are maybe following God better than others, that sort of a thing, but all are flawed to a certain extent. Don't put them in that position of God and expect them to be perfect. And that freed me up quite a bit. I can join a denomination. I can join a church, you know, no big deal. They don't have to be perfect. I know God is perfect and I know the church is not. So that was easy. Who's right? None of them are right. Ended up hooking up with the Assemblies of God. Super happy with that. Love the Assemblies of God. And I feel fortunate that God steered me in the right direction. <laughs> you know, I feel like God has helped me through my life, has shown me good things. But I've also seen 
Christians that seem to think that God is telling them things that just are not right. So what do we do with that? You know, I got a funny story about a a youth pastor that I met a year or two ago, and he was talking about his experience in Bible college. And he said, I think it was seven, it was nine or seven different girls told him that God told them they were going to get married. It's like this huge number. And uh, uh, clearly they were not hearing from God. I I think he said he didn't marry any of them. You know, he married somebody else. So none of them were hearing from God, but they all were convinced that they were. They're Bible college students. They're trying to hear from God, but they're hearing amiss. They're hearing wrong. So what do we do with that? Well, here's a few basic things tips to try to hear from God accurately. First one, watch out for the wind, the earthquake, and the fire. I just think it's amazing in this section talking about Elijah, where God is going to speak to him. Inserted in that is a wind that tears rocks apart, is an earthquake and a fire that comes through. You would think especially Old Testament, that God would be in the fire, you know, that God would be in the earthquake, the mighty power of God. But no, God is in the gentle whisper. And that just so many things in our lives are noisy and distracting, and they can take our focus away from the gentle whisper, the quiet prompting of God. We face loud distractions. There's our emotions, our desires, our understanding. This all creates noise in our heads. Sometimes the trauma that we've been through and uh, just where we're at, it's just noisy. And it's hard to be still and know that he is God and listen for the gentle whisper. 11 years ago, I was praying about moving to Cloquet to plant a church. And it was a difficult thing. It took me about three years to really get firm direction that God wanted me to come to Cloquet and plant Good Hope Church. Three years of seeking God. And one of the reasons was because there was noise in my head. I had been pastoring in a community, Big Fork, Go Huskies, loving life in Big Fork. And I had kind of a chip on my shoulder about pastors who spent a certain time in one place and then just moved on to another. I was like, oh yeah, you know, when it gets tough, you just leave, you know, you got to stick it out and do the hard work. And so I had a chip on my shoulder. And so when God was trying to tell me, hey, it's time to go to Cloquet, what you can do and Big Fork is done. Now it's time to hand that to somebody else. It's time to go over here. I had trouble hearing it because there was this noise of, you know, don't be a, a, that's sort of pastor that just up and leaves, you know, don't be that guy. And yet God was calling me a certain direction. So I had this noise in my head. I had this expectation, this desire and an emotional response that clouded my mind. So it took time. I had to try to quiet that. I also had trusted friends, spirit led people pray and seek the Lord and give me counsel. That was very helpful because I knew with that chip on my shoulder, it was going to be hard for me to hear from God. I really wanted to hear from God, but it was difficult. I I did hear from God and other people helped me with that, but it was a battle. It took time because of the noise that was there. So you got to watch out for the wind, the earthquake, and the fire, all the noisy distractions, and you can have other people pray with you and help you as well. 
Then, if you're hearing from God, compare what you think God is speaking to you with what the scriptures have to say. God will not tell you something contrary to the scriptures. God will tell you to love your enemies. God will tell you New Testament truths. He will guide you into those things. But when you pray, you know, about things that aren't in the scriptures, like say, what college to attend, where to do ministry, what spiritual gifts to seek after and cultivate in your life, these are things that you're not going to find in the Bible. So you have to uh, seek that for yourself. But if you're noticing anything that is contrary to scripture or biblical morality, then you got to know you're not hearing from God. So compare what you think God is speaking to you with the scriptures. Then practice listening in safe environments. You don't want to have your first at bat being at the World Series. You know what I mean? You want to have practiced <laughs> ahead of time. You want to get good at whatever it is. And hearing from God is one of those things too. You've got to practice. You've got to work at it because there'll be times when you just get it wrong. You think you've heard from God and you haven't. So let me give you a couple opportunities of practicing, listening to the still small voice of God, the gentle whisper in safe environments. One thing, uh, you know, go to your doctor, whatever, but fasting is a hugely helpful way in hearing the voice of God. When you fast and seek the Lord, it's really helpful because what will happen is there will be a voice that will say, oh, just go ahead and eat a cheeseburger. What difference does it make? And you can know that is not the voice of God. That's not the Holy Spirit. So you get to know that voice and you're like, oh, that's just my fleshly desires speaking to me. Get to know that voice and you can set that one aside. So fasting will help with that. Plus, as you're praying and fasting and seeking the Lord, God can show you Wonderful things. I've had God show me amazing things in times of fasting and prayer. Giving is another way to practice in a safe environment. Say there's a special offering or you're just regular giving towards church. Pray about what you should give and then give that. And you'll find very quickly that you'll either have a thing in your heart that says, yeah, that was right. Or you'll have a thing in your heart that says you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> and you can hear from God that way. I think giving is a great way to practice hearing from God and being obedient. And let's say you give too much, which I believe you can. You should be spirit-led in your giving. Give what God shows you to give, not just guessing and throwing something out there, but trying to seek the Lord and give what he shows you to give. Then you'll be able to feel it afterwards if it was right. I've given too much in situations, and does that harm me any? Okay, so I put a little bit too much in in the special offering. That doesn't hurt me. That's okay. It's a great way to pay some tuition in how to hear from God. And then another safe way to practice listening is to share what you heard with the trusted friend. It's where you can pray and ask God for a word for somebody or just be praying for people and seeking the Lord. And maybe God will show you something to tell somebody. And if it's somebody you trust, you can go up to him and say, hey, I was praying and I was praying for you. And I think God showed me something. Do you mind if I share it with you? And then you share it with them. And, you know, one of two things will happen. They'll say, wow, that's right on. I totally resonate with that. And you can be like, wow, you know, God's guiding me. This is fantastic. Or they'll say something like, ah, that wasn't it. <laughs> and then that's also very, very helpful because it's a trusted friend and you can, you can learn and grow along those lines. So that's very important. And be humble and learn while you're doing that. Don't ever, ever, ever try to talk God into something or to try to talk yourself into something. That just distorts our ability to hear from God. You've got to be humble 
only seek. Don't try to tell God what to do. Just seek him, only seek. So you want to practice listening in a safe environment. And then the last thing I want to talk about here before we begin to close is be cautious when asking what lesson is God trying to teach me? I've seen people kind of go into funny places with that. What lesson is God trying to teach me? Um, Most of the time, it's a real simple lesson. One person I, I talked to years ago slid through a stop sign in the winter and said, Lord, what lesson are you trying to teach me? Well, what's the lesson? Just slow down sooner. It's icy. That's the lesson. Don't mystify this and over-spiritualize and Oh, the lesson if you slide through a stop sign is slow down sooner. That's the simple thing. It doesn't have to be a complicated, weird spiritual deal. And the apostle Paul went through this with regards to his experience in Philippi being beaten and jailed. And then afterwards, he says he's a Roman citizen and everybody's like, oh, you're a Roman citizen. Oh my goodness. And they escort him out of the prison and all that stuff. But then the next time when he's being stretched out to be flogged in Jerusalem, he mentions that he's a Roman citizen before they beat him up. This is the lesson. Tell him you're a Roman citizen before they beat you up. Most of the time, it's really, really simple stuff like that. Like for me with ministry, Lord, where is your anointing? Where is your power? I want to see your hand move. I want to see people impacted. How come it's not working as well as it should? And the answer from God is, you need to plan things out farther in advance. That's the lesson. Okay, well, all right, let's plan things out farther in advance. It doesn't have to be a super crazy spiritual thing. God will teach you lessons that are simple. Learn those lessons. Don't make it a hyper-spiritual, mystified thing. So you want to be able to hear from God. Very important. It is a great privilege and promise in the scriptures. I want to close by going to uh, the gospel of John chapter 14. Jesus is teaching at the Last Supper. And this is one of the things that he says to his followers. John 14, starting in verse 15, it says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So the Spirit, our counselor, our advocate, the one who guides us through this life is sent by the Lord. We're not left here as orphans but God does guide us. So I want to pray that you would be able to hear from God, that I'd be able to hear more clearly that this is what we need to hear from God. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us here as orphans. Lord Jesus, you did not leave your disciples here as orphans, but you came to them and you sent your spirit to guide them. And Lord, you send your spirit to us to guide us. And so Father, I pray for open hearts, to ask questions of you and to seek out the ability to hear the still small voice, to quench the noise of the wind and the earthquakes and the fire and our emotions and our desires and the chip on our shoulder and all that. Lord, let us be still and know you are God and listen to that gentle whisper. Father, help us to compare these things with your word, rejecting things that are contrary to your scriptures and making sure that we're staying consistent with your teachings in your word. Father, help us to be able to practice in safe environments, to be able to be humble and learn as we go. But Lord, I pray that you would guide us. 
This is an important part of that personal relationship with you. Guide us by your spirit. Guide me as I seek you in all these different ministry areas and personal areas. And Lord, guide each one that's listening. Now, if you're prompting in their hearts for them to confess their sins to you and turn to you, give their lives to you, give them the courage to do that. If you're prompting in their hearts to seek you for uh, direction in different areas, let them do that. Follow through with it. Build on this. Receive of your spirit and be led by your spirit. So Lord, bless us with this. It is a great privilege and a wonderful opportunity. So help us, Lord, to be led by your spirit. We yield to you. In Jesus' name, amen.